The following podcast was recorded on Wednesday, August 4th, 2021, featuring Jim Bianco of Bianco Research and Ben Breitholtz of Arbor Data Science. To hear the podcast in real time, you can sign up for a free trial at arborresearch.com or by emailing Gus Handler directly at gus.handler at arborresearch.com. You can also call Arbor Research and Trading at 1-800-606-1872. Thanks for your time and enjoy the podcast. Welcome everyone to Talking Data. I'm Kristen Radish of Arbor Research and Trading, joined today by Jim Bianco of Bianco Research and Ben Breitholtz of Arbor Data Science. Thank you for joining us today. We're gonna to be talking about growth concerns for bond investors. As of this morning, ADP was a miss and there's potential for NFPs to undershoot. If you combine that with consumer intentions that have been waning lately, what does it mean for Fed policy? Ben, do you wanna get us started? Yes, so for those that don't know, ADP you know, came in somewhere around 330,000. That's a, a pretty decent miss, pretty hefty miss, which I'm sure Jim has some good stats on, um, you know, well below the 650,000. This is coming um, you know, into a non-firm payrolls report where we had plenty of economists, a lot of them at the big shops from Goldman to Morgan Stanley and so on, expecting a million plus jobs added. Uh, now we all have that in the brain because we have the likes of Waller and now Clarita too, a little bit who have focused so much on the um, employment market saying that if, okay, we get these big jobs gains um, is 800 plus thousand, we should see a rate hike in 2023. Um, and potentially that means the taper's got to start, you know, well ahead of that. Um, that got the market, um, you know, a little bit riled up. Um, you know, initially uh, this morning, as we record this on Wednesday, yields had dropped. 10-year yields have gotten close to 112, um, and then reverse course as we got some hawkish commentary from uh, Clarida, and at least the markets kind of absorbed that. So for Fed policy here, this is going to be quite the conundrum because if we if we do get employment to slow down, which a lot of our search activity is beginning to show that, and a lot of other sources from home base to Glassdoor and so on um, indicate that there's um, some strange churn um, and kind of subpar job growth going on, specifically in those uh, uh, states that have ended enhanced employment bene unemployment benefits, um, it's going to create a conundrum for the Fed who, um, you know, wants to, it seems like they're getting more and more like they want to get that taper going at some point towards the end of this year and then start hiking rates in 2023. If the job growth slows down, that's going to pump the brakes. Um, and then, of course, that's maybe going to flip the story back to inflation. Um, and I think Jim has some good comments on that. Um, you know, looking towards the end of the year, we'll get more of inflation focus where really bond investors haven't been that focused um, and nor has the Fed. Yeah, I agree with a lot of what Ben said. Um, right now, the Fed has changed, or as of last September, the Fed changed their, <coughs> their mandate, <coughs> excuse me, their policy to focus more on employment over inflation. So when we look at a job like the ADP report coming in way below estimate, as Ben said, the estimate was 660,000 jobs in ADP. It was 330, and the lowest guess in the street was 500. So it was way below what everybody thought. It augurs the idea that the Fed is going to be, you know, on the taper has been pushed further off, that the stimulus will continue and bond yields continue to rally from there. Um, Inflation, the problem with inflation, I'll just say, is uh, I think it's an indeterminate. Uh, those that are in the transitory camp, 
whatever the numbers are in the month of August, whether the CPI is above average or below average, it's not going to change their opinion. Who's ever in the persistent camp, it's not going to change their opinion either. So that story is not going to play. I think the story that's playing right now is growth. The fear is growth is slowing, not recession. We're not worried about a recession. What we are worried about is there's still 7 million people that have not had their jobs restored from the pandemic. We were hoping for very strong growth that would justify 800,000, 700,000 jobs a month so that in a year we could reabsorb those 7 million people. If growth is going to slow to 200,000 jobs or 300,000 jobs, which would have been a decent number pre-pandemic, it's going to take several years to get everybody back into the workforce. And with the Fed's focus on employment over inflation, that's going to keep them easy and for a lot longer and dismissing inflation for a lot longer. And I think that that's what's been driving the bond yields lower for the last several weeks has been this fear that growth is slowing. Why is growth slowing? Tops of the list is the Delta variant increase. I've used, I've been careful in using the word restrictions that it could lead to economic restrictions, not lockdowns. We've seen some of those. You have to wear a mask, mandatory vaccinations. Now you have to prove you're vaccinated uh, to go into a restaurant in New York City. Sure, if you want to go to the big steakhouse Sparks, everybody's vaccinated and they got proof. But what about if you want to take a bunch of 12-year-olds to a McDonald's in Brooklyn? I have no idea how that's supposed to work. And I don't think either does the mayor of New York yet at this point. Uh, how that's going to work. So they're just sowing confusion. And the fear is that confusion will lead to people refraining from economic activity, thereby slowing the economy, not to recession, but to only the two, 300,000 job range. And that's a problem when you have so many people that are still out of work from the pandemic. Yeah. And, we, and so we've also been able to connect uh, right along in that story. And Jim's got some great charts that show the reopening relative to this kind of stay at home stocks and how that correlates with uh, 30 year yields or 10 year yields. In a similar vein, what we've looked at is really the back to office movement. So how many, um, you know, what uh, what are these workers and would be workers? Are they willing to get back into jobs and get into the office, get back in the workplace and their search activity? All of a sudden, the past three weeks, thanks to the Delta variant, has kind of flipped um, the script since we saw vaccines hit in December and January. So um, if you take the spread between search activity that relates to getting back to the office versus getting um, or staying home, telecommuting and so on, um, that correlates very well with 30 year bond yields. Um, and so right now that spread has kind of fallen, it's a negative tilted towards telecommuting and work from home. And I have a feeling until that comes back and we get this, this lack of apprehension, um, you know, that means that like Jim's talking about, that kind of the crimp on growth is there. And that kind of, that puts the Fed in an interesting and difficult position because if they do move to taper and do get these rate hikes kind of priced in 2023, late 2022, that's going to be a crimp on growth uh, in and of itself too. So it's, um, yeah, you know, I don't envy them and I think it's a, it's a tough position. Yeah, just Let real quick. Uh, yeah, just real quick. Uh, sure. Ben's right. The relative performance of the reopening stocks to the S&P is right in line. If uh, just look at a chart of the 10-year yield or the 30-year yield, it's the same thing. The reopening stocks have been underperforming over the last couple of months and yields have been falling, a signal that growth seems to be driving the market. It is the same thing as the chart you're looking at now 
with been search activity. And you know what also correlates with that too is the seven day average of case counts as well. So all of this, again, we're not talking about recession. We're not talking about disaster. We're just talking about taking, you know, taking the boil off of the growth, but with all these people that still need to get back to work, that's enough to be a problem or as the market thinks, enough to keep the Fed from tapering for a long time. And the ADP number today fit right into that. And that's why it's no surprise that you saw yields run down in the 10 year to under 113. So have investors fully bought the transitory narrative? I'll start with that. And I think the answer is yes. And I'll go with mechanically. If you look at the surveys done by CNBC or you look at the surveys done by B of A's Global Fund Manager Survey, they ask, is inflation transitory? And 60 to 70 percent of the people answering those questions say yes. Uh, I do think that part of that might be a self-rationalization. Yields are down, so therefore it must be transitory. The yields went up. I suspect just because yields went up that you'd get a less of an answer. So they're trying to justify market prices more than anything else. But nevertheless, I would think that most people are in the transitory camp right now. The other camp would be the persistent camp. I happen to be in the persistent camp, but I understand that that's a minority opinion. And I also, as I said before, I don't think we're going to get a resolution to this question. Is it transitory or is it persistent? for the next several months, because almost regardless of what the August numbers say, it's not going to move the needle one way or the other. Both sides are dug in and they're going to stay that way. Yeah. Hey, Powell said it could be 12 months and that could still be transitory. That means that takes us into April of next year. Um, so it's quite the debate. And if you do look at news trends and kind of financial media, which you can do some fun NLP work on that, they, they've really, as a community, jumped on to transitory beginning some point in January or February of this year. So that's when the news trends for, oh, we expect higher inflation within these news articles and, and comment, you know, commentary on TV and so on. That's when that peaked and has uh, done nothing but slide ever, ever since. So, but, um, you know, the, the big question, I think, is our third question. If you don't mind me jumping into that, Kristen, you know, what, if it's if we do get some kind of a peak here, um, interim peak in inflation, which it looks like we should, I you know, estimates coming from economists show that we should drop maybe a you know, tenth of a percent on the year over year numbers. A lot of the base effects roll off. We got prices paid peaking, delivery times and so on. But what looms on the horizon is kind of critical. This is, I think, where Jim and I agree a lot, is that we'll get this, there are, we really have to look at two different things with inflation. One is there's going to be transitory um, inflation with a lot of, you know, used cars, airfares, hotels, a lot of this stuff, and anything in supply chain, even though that's going to live with us for a while, there's, it is going to prove transitory. The big thing here is going to be wages, which we are getting some wage growth, and uh, more critically, it's going to be the uh, rents, which have just you know gone sky high. And on a year-over-year basis, we got numbers well above you know 20% um, out of apartment lists. Now you adjust them based on the noise that's in those series. It still says that we should be somewhere around maybe five to six and a half percent on OER by year end. That's gonna add, that could add as much as one and a half percent to core inflation. So you're gonna have people looking at, you know, two different things. One, oh, look at inflation, it's peaking. It's it's starting to drop. You know, tits break evens have picked up on that. They've kind of receded. Um, and we've seen the volatility come out of the bond market. Fed doesn't care. And yeah, they're gonna be proven right. But in the back end here, uh, this year, we are, we're almost assured, we're gonna see uh, rent inflation. Um, how fast that gets priced in, you know, OER is a slow beast, but that is going to keep 
kind of a floor um, on core inflation. So the glide path lower eventually could keep core inflation, you know, well above that two and a half percent mark. And that's going to bring that back into discussion. I mean, that is going to come back potentially with a vengeance, not saying the inflation is going to go sky high, but I think the storyline around inflation is going to get very fervent, um, you know, not this summer, not this fall, but into the winter months. I agree with Ben. I just want to emphasize two things can be true at once. You do have transitory inflation, you know, airline tickets, rental cars and the like, and that's probably peaked and it's probably going to start down. Um, you could also probably throw in prices paid from the ISM and the regional Fed surveys. It's probably peaked and that's going to start down as well, too. And people say, aha, see, it was transitory. But you then will have a persistent category of shelter inflation or owner's equivalent rent, rents of primary residence. Those types of numbers probably are going to move higher. So while the transitory numbers come down, a persistent number will move up. How do those two offset each other? That's going to be the big debate going into the fall. And I think we're going to wind up, as Ben said, you know, okay, when it all washed out, we still have like a two and a half-ish percent type of core inflation level, a little bit higher on headline inflation. And I think that can be a problem in a 1.2% 10-year note world. Now, again, that's later this year because right now we seem to be more focused on growth than anything else. And lastly today, can you each uh, just give me your thoughts on where the U.S. Treasury yields are headed? You mentioned this morning, I think the 10-year note hit a low about 1.12%, 1.13%, um, and has been moving back up. But what do you see, what do you foresee? I'll take that one first. Uh, I think it's really going to be the growth story, and I think it's going to be about, uh, it's going to be about the Delta variant. I'm in the camp that it will probably peak, the Delta variant's case counts will probably peak in the next two to four weeks or so. But I would not be surprised if before we peak, we see a new all-time high. We take out the January 8th high of around 300,000 cases in one day, and that generates a bunch of hyperventilation and a, a belief that we have to do something. And therefore, people will look and say, whether or not you believe that the doing something is right from a health standpoint, that's a different debate, slows the economy, and that will help to keep rates going lower. Only when we see some kind of peak in the variant, and then we could start talking about going back to the reopening stocks, going back to the reopening of the economy, backing off on the mask wearing, the mandatory vaccinations, you know, or proof of vaccination to go to a restaurant or whatever other restrictions we put, then we could talk about faster growth and maybe higher rates. But for right now, for the month of August or so, I think it's probably going to be more of a growth worry than anything else. It's going to keep rates down. Yeah, if you want to look out a year or so, um, if I'm right about the persistent inflation argument, yeah, we'll have much higher yields. But uh, first things first, let's see how we go through this rise in the Delta variant and this growth scare. Yeah, you know, yields dropping, you know, and usually synonymous with lower volatility, and that's been the case in volatility expectations markets or implied volatility or swaps in volatility. Um, but I think that a lot of that has kind of run its course. So it feels like treasury yields are pricing in the slower growth, like Jim's been talking about here all along. Um, and I don't know how much further or how much lower they can go, I, even with the Delta scare. 
the good thing is some of the search activity we, we follow for consumers, both staying in and going out, um, search activity is beginning to round the corner and is somewhat improving. Of course, that could get, uh, it could be a disaster if Delta really does wreak havoc. Uh, but as of right now, it's not. And I, I also look again, like I've been discussing, the incredibly high sharp ratio on like a rolling two month basis for the longer end of the curve relative to the drop in, in volatility expectations that reached a, an extreme that we really haven't seen since 2012. And to me, that means that the market is, is somewhat fully priced for something. Um, and I still stick in the kind of the range bound camp. I think we'll be bound by like 110 to 180 with a midpoint of somewhere on one and a half percent here going forward. Um, you can't rule out a run to 1%. I'd be pretty shocked. It's not that far away. Um, uh, but uh, but we'll have to see. My contention is we'll be back to 150 um, as long as, like Jim said, we get through the Delta variant over the next two to four weeks and consumer activity and mobility, which has actually been really strong, um, you know, uh, stays um, and kind of continues to rebound. Well, thank you both for your thoughts today and thank you everyone for joining us. As a reminder, Arbor Research and Trading is an institutional research and brokerage firm. Our two most prominent offerings are Bianco Research and Arbor Data Science. For any questions, please contact Gus Handler at gus.handler at arborresearch.com. Have a great day.